What is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it to First Wednesday. And by made it to First Wednesday, you really did. You had to shovel your way into church today because you are hardcores. Hey, if you're watching from our Monterey, Mexico campus or somewhere warm, we hate you. No, actually, right here in the Twin Cities, we just had like two snowstorms in the last like 24, 36 hours of the heaviest snow on earth. You know, I was just, I was just telling someone, I, literally, I, I actually prayed four, four days ago, I was just talking to the Lord and I was like, you know what, God, if it's going to be cold, we might as well have snow. I just wanted to publicly apologize <laughs> for that prayer. No, I do. I, I, we will be praying for everyone's sore shovel muscles after church tonight. I also want to, hey, Pastor Nate, come on up here real quick. Just run up here. Run, 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 run. What's up? <laughs> I just wanted to acknowledge that we are twinning today. He was listening to the Holy Spirit. I was. And I, I just want to say, Hey, bro, you look good. You do too. Thank you. I, I, back. Now, I just, I want to give it up for your pastor, Nate Puccini. I, I, I knew he was a good staff member, but after we realized we were twinning, he literally came up to me and he's like, Pastor Peter, I will take off this jacket if, you, if, if it would be helpful for you, because he knows that I, you know, I, I don't like being cute. And, uh, and I'm like, no, 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 we're going to do this. So anyway, just... Holy Spirit, and uh, tonight's message, church, is going to be extremely fresh, so fresh, I actually, uh, I actually swapped out my message only one hour ago, which I don't often do, but when I do do it, it's because I really do believe that God has something special for the people in the house, and the people who are watching today, and I, I really sense that God wants to impart a greater authority over the demonic today. I don't want you to go through life as a believer having a form of godliness and yet deny its power. I don't want you to go through life assuming that everything is really just, oh, bad circumstances or bad luck, when in reality it was angels and demons warring maybe beyond our vision, and as a result, we were thinking carnally when we should have been thinking spiritually. And it's something that I have to kind of remind myself. I'm kind of a, a, a more intellectual, logical guy. I don't, I'm not overly mystical, believe it or not. And yet, I, I've learned that I need to think more mystically because there are things that go beyond my physical sight that I need to acknowledge through the scriptures. And the Bible talks about angels and demons a lot. In fact, actually, half of Jesus' ministry was casting out demons. And, and yet, you know... We asked the question, what would Jesus do? Well, we know what Jesus did. It's just that a lot of us like to focus on certain things more than other things. And so I, I want to talk about that a little bit. I, I, many of you guys know Pastor uh, Craig Rochelle. He pastors Life Church TV. It's, it's probably one of the largest churches in the United States at the moment. But uh, over the years, I've had uh, numerous opportunities to get mentored by him, which has been really fun. And I, I, 
uh, I, I got to hear him share a story one time about his first demonic encounter, and it kind of rattled him a little bit. I actually love to hear about everybody's first demonic encounter, because usually when your first one is the one that kind of shakes you the most, and then your second one, it shakes you a little bit less, and then after a while, not that you ever get used to it, but that you, you, you start to learn how to live vigilantly, and this was kind of his moment. Uh, he happened to be going to a Christian meeting in college, Back when he was in college, there was only about 20 people at this one Christian group. And uh, the one guy who was sitting next to him looked a little new to the group. He didn't look like he was a normal attendee of this group. Maybe he was just a little different. I don't know why he, he noticed this guy was a little different. But he knew he, was, uh, he had heard rumors about this guy that he was into some pretty dark stuff. Whatever that means, right? But uh, towards the end of this little Christian college student meeting... Uh, the leader had everyone stand up, grab hands in a circle to pray. Now, uh, just uh, you know, you've been there, right? I, I'm kind of a, a germaphobe. I hate holding other people's hands too, because I also like to like walk and pace. And I'm a little ADD, so it's like holding people's hands is just like super still. I can't do it. Okay, so anyway, they all held hands in a circle to pray, and of course, Craig happened to be stuck next to this wild-looking new guy. And so uh, as they began praying, Craig just kind of put it, it just fell on his heart like, I need to be praying for this guy, right? And so he starts praying for that guy, not out loud, mind you, just praying under his breath, like, Lord, I pray that you would just grab a hold of this guy, help him realize how much you love him, all that kind of stuff. And he's, he's praying, and then all of a sudden, that guy turns to him, and he goes, don't pray for me. And of course, you know, Craig was like kind of shocked by this, like, <laughs> like, how did you know? Like, you know, so at first Craig kind of denied it. He's like, dude, relax. I wasn't praying for you. Just relax. And now how many of you know when somebody says that to you, you're really going to pray, okay? <laughs> you don't ever tell a feisty Christian, don't pray for me, okay? That means you're going to get the whole church prayer chain called. Think about it, okay, for real. No, so now Craig is really praying for this guy, and he's like, this guy really needs you. He's, I don't know what's going on. And then a second time, that guy, he turns to Craig, and he goes, I told you, don't pray for me. And, and you, again, he was like, bro, chill. <laughs> like, do I still have to hold your hand, right? I, I'm just... This is awkward, right? So finally, the guy turns to Craig a third time and then just lost it, started screaming, I told you not to pray for me. And then he spat in his face and then fell to the ground and started convulsing on the floor. And of course, you could just imagine, you know, Craig is kind of freaked out by all of this. Fortunately, there happened to be a seasoned pastor who knew exactly what was going on. And it was a pastor by the name of Danny Chambers, who if you, some of you who are like long-termers, he was a, a well-known worship leader back in the 90s, but he, uh, he had a, a, an awesome church in Nashville, but he, and he recently went home to be with the Lord, actually, but um, Danny actually came over at this guy convulsing on the floor, and he just, you know, simply said, in the name of Jesus, come out of this man, and immediately the, 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 the guy went limp and everything was over. And it was uh, obviously kind of a shocking event because I think all of us, we believe in angels and demons. We believe in the supernatural. But, you know, it's not often that the supernatural comes, I, like, comes 
you know, invading our lives like a freight train. You know what I'm saying? It, there, there are moments in life where all of a sudden the supernatural invades your life like a wrecking ball, and you, you no longer can look at your faith in a theoretical way. You, you either pray or you don't. You know what I'm saying? You either obey the Lord or you don't. You're either leading people to Christ or you don't really believe in heaven or hell. You know what I'm saying? There's not really, you know, uh, we, it's almost like sometimes we get lulled into a theoretical type of Christianity, and I, I just, I, I shared that story because how many of you know demons are in fact real? And, and some of you are like, I know because that explains my relatives over Christmas. <laughs> you know who you are. You know what I'm saying. But I, I, actually, I, I think it is, uh, even recently we had a staff member come, you know, uh, having an issue that they had to sort through that was demonic. And, and I, I think it's really good for us to be reminded that angels and demons are everywhere. I think it's so easy to think that all of our problems are simply due to people and circumstances, and yet uh, the Bible is constantly calling us to a third dimension that can affect us, the demonic. And so here's the good news. The Bible actually teaches that when you and I learn how to pray and fast, we actually can have a supernatural advantage over, over the demonic, okay? So like the good news is, is we don't actually have to be afraid of it. And, and we can actually walk in authority. And actually, I believe that there's a lot of you, you've, you've got a circumstance going on in your life. Now, not everything bad in our lives is happening because of the demonic, okay? Some of it is just you. <laughs> but I do believe that there's a lot of things that, like, what if? What if the issue going on in your workplace, going on in your body, going on in your finances, your family, what if it was an issue that could be 100% resolved through prayer and fasting? What if? What if you thought it was a people problem when it wasn't? What if you thought it was a circumstantial problem when it wasn't? I want to just propose that to you because I think for me it's just something that I need to remind myself of every now and again. God gave us the ability to have authority over the demonic. And let me give you a few examples of this. If you remember Daniel in the Old Testament, remember Daniel in the lion's den, okay? Daniel was a man of prayer and fasting, the Bible says. In Daniel 9, uh, there's this famous passage where the angel Gabriel appears to Daniel and, and says this. I love this. Verse 23, as soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you. Why? Because for you are what? Highly esteemed, okay? As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you for, in other words, here's why I am, this is so quick, because you are highly esteemed, okay? Esteemed. So he's basically saying, Daniel, you got a quick answer because you are what? Highly esteemed. It makes you wonder, well, well what was it? What was it? I mean, we could maybe presume it might have been fasting and prayer, that he was a man of fasting and prayer, but there was something that set him apart that enabled him to experience answers to prayer as soon as he began to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love if as soon as I began to pray, an answer would be given. You know, and I'm not saying that God will always give everyone an answer. I'm sure that even Daniel, the fact that Daniel was in Babylon all those years, I'm sure he was praying for deliverance for many, many years. I'm sure Daniel had uh, prayers that seemed slow. But I do want to point out that in this passage, the angel does say his response came quickly because he was esteemed. Now, as an example of the opposite of this, let me just read to you out of the New Testament 
chapter, Acts chapter 19, verse 15. We're going to read about the seven sons of Sceva. It's kind of one of those crazy Bible stories that you don't want to read to your little kids before they go to bed. But the seven sons of Sceva, Sceva was a high priest, okay, so they're Jewish, and they're trying to cast out a demon in the name of Jesus. It was very common, uh, first century Jews would oftentimes cast out demons in the name of Solomon, or they'd pick, uh, Solomon for some reason was one of the names that they would invoke a lot of times when they would cast out demons in first century Judaism. But it, what, 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 what's unique about this is that these Jewish leaders are using the name of Jesus, and yet they don't even believe in Jesus. Okay, which is why they're kind of being, but, but they, know, they noticed that it's working somehow. Maybe they saw the apostles, the disciples, actually casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And they thought, oh, that's an interesting name to use. I'm going to use that. And so we, we read about this in Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 15. It says, one day, okay, so they're casting out a demon. One day the evil spirit answered the sons of Sceva. Jesus I know. And I know about Paul, but who are you? Okay, that's kind, of, that's kind of scary. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now, if a, demonic, if a demonized man beats you up so bad you're naked, that's a pretty bad beating. I'm just saying I'm just saying, I think it's interesting, but what's fascinating about that scripture verse is demons apparently have an awareness of humans, and they have an awareness of human authority. There are certain people that they are scared of, and there are certain people they are not scared of. I know about Jesus, I know about Paul, but who are you? It once again begs the question, would the demons know my name? Jesus I know, Paul I know, but Peter Haas is... Is that the guy who invented Swedish fish? You know what I'm saying? Or no, 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 he's the snack cake guy. You know, what would they say? What would they say about you? What would they say about me? Would the demons know my name? Would they know your name? And is there any way that we could kind of change that, where, where we could be more like Daniel, where we are highly esteemed? It's a question that I have asked the Lord a lot over the years, and, and and that's what I want to talk to you about today, is I want, to, I want to share some Bible passages that will reveal a little bit more about how you and I can just log a little more time in prayer and log a little more time in fasting. Now, real quick, how many of you guys remember the Exodus story? Remember Moses, let my people go. He goes before Pharaoh, the plagues. Okay, Israelites come out of Egypt. Everybody say Egypt. Then God parted the Red Sea. Okay, so they walked through water. And then God delivered them from their past. Okay, so, and then after that, where did they go? They went to Mount Sinai. They went into the desert, the desert wanderings, we might call it, uh, to be tested before they entered the promised land. I want to point that out, just those simple facts. They came out of Egypt through the Red Sea, deliverance into the desert to be tested before the promised land. Okay, now I just... I'm, I'm recapping all these things because I want them to be fresh in your head. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is that Christ, when he started his earthly ministry, he actually reenacted the Exodus story as an act of obedience. The first thing the Spirit called him to do 
was to reenact the Exodus story. And actually, so you may not have even seen this. If you read the book of Matthew all in one sitting, and you're going to, Matthew 2, 3, and 4, you're actually going to see Matthew intentionally laying out Jesus' reenactment of the Exodus story. Matthew 2, for example, okay, remember the Christmas story. We just went through Christmas. The Magi, the wise men, were visiting Mary and Joseph, and immediately afterward, the Lord appeared to Joseph, made it very clear that King Herod was going to attempt to kill Jesus, right? And so, of course, where, where did Joseph take the family? To Egypt, okay? Think about that. He takes the family to Egypt, and then, so Jesus, he grows up in Egypt, and then, you know, after the heat was gone, they move back at some point, and then in Matthew 3, we read about John the Baptist who baptized Christ. So he, Jesus comes out of Egypt into the water, okay, kind of like the Red Sea being parted, okay, deliverance. And then, and then think about this, okay, so the, Christ is baptized. Immediately afterwards, the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. I want, I'm just going to point out a bunch of things you may not have ever seen in the Bible before. Matthew 4, verse 1, then Jesus right after he was baptized, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, the desert, to be tempted by the devil. Now, it's, it's just kind of interesting, right? Verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Okay, talk about the understatement of the year, right? I mean, like, really? Okay. Now, I, I want to pause here for a second because I think a lot of people miss the significance in all this. Remember, God took, once again, God took his chosen people, the Israelites, baptized them through the Red Sea, tested them in the wilderness for 40 years, and of course, sadly, they failed the test, didn't they? They failed the test. Well, Christ basically took the very same test. He came up from Egypt, was baptized, went immediately into the wilderness, and guess why he fasted for 40 days? The 40 days, again, were symbolic of the testing, but what he was doing as he was re, uh, like redoing the Exodus story, he was basically saying to the devil, this is 2.0. This is the moment where I'm going to prove total surrender unlike God's other people, okay? And, and remember, the first thing the Israelites did once they met, made it into the wilderness, what did they do? They, they complained they had no bread or no food, Exodus 16. So does it surprise us to read this in the very next verse. The tempter came to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Do you see the temptation here? This was very, very intentional that Matthew is trying to point this out to re, uh, basically revisit Exodus 16. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, that's even more, that's even more interesting when you actually put it in context because, uh, you know, uh, Jesus is actually quoting Deuteronomy 6, which is the sermon where, where <laughs> Moses basically explains to the generation about the generation earlier why they failed, okay? So he's quoting the very sermon about how to resist the tempter out of Deuteronomy 6, okay? So Jesus is making it clear, hey, physical needs uh, uh, do not trump spiritual needs. God is going to provide for me when I put God first. Okay, another thing that people miss in this passage is every time that Jesus is tempted, he doesn't just say it is written, okay? I, I do believe that when you are tempted, you need to learn how to memorize and quote the word of God towards your temptations, okay? So if you want to know what Christian maturity looks like, whatever it is you know you're weak in, learn scripture promises, that pertain to that weakness and quote them at the, at the 
at the devil, okay? It's the sword of the spirit. A lot of you, you have a pocket knife of the spirit because you don't know enough scripture, okay? Which you can do damage with a pocket knife still, but I, I think that the Lord actually wants you going into battle with a sword of the spirit, which means you actually have to know the word of God, okay? So you, you want to me- memorize the word of God, okay? Now, but, but Jesus doesn't just say it is written. He says it is written, and then he quotes Deuteronomy 6 through 8. Now, again, why is that significant? It's the sermon from Moses. How the, it's, and really, the theme of that sermon is how the Israelites failed in the wilderness, okay? Are you guys getting this? Jesus is basically saying, hey, oh, those old tricks that you used on that generation, that's not going to work anymore. Those things may have worked the first time, but you know what? There is a better invasion coming, and it starts with me. That's what Jesus was saying to the devil here, and watch what happens after the third temptation in Luke's gospel. If we switch over to a parallel passage, Luke 4, 13, it says, When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until when? An opportune time. Now, I want to focus on that word opportune and that other word time. You see, I think it's interesting. If you're wondering if the devil has a strategic time to attack you, he does. He loves to do it when you're tired. He loves to do it when you're lonely. He loves to do it when you're isolated. He loves to do it when you don't have enough word in your heart. He knows. He knows when the opportune times are. And that's why we have to be really cautious. If we want to grow spiritually and go into the promised land that God has for you and I, we've got to learn how to arm ourselves with the word of God. We don't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, so it's, it's, a, it's a call to, to ingest scripture, spiritual life. Now, here's the next question I want to pose. If the devil left Christ until an opportune time, it implies that the devil came back at some point, right? That there is another time. And when was that opportune time? It's kind of a, a little trick question. I don't want you guys to shout it out because you might be wrong. But I, I just, okay. <laughs> It begs the question, well, then, Luke, when was the next opportune time? Well, I'm going to show it to you. Okay, now, if you study the temptations of Christ, it's kind of an interesting Bible study. The next time Christ was being tempted was right after Jesus enacted another Old Testament story that you may not have ever seen. Okay, and I'm going to point this out. It happened right after Jesus reenacted the Old Testament journey of Moses and, and when did this happen? This is, okay, in the New Testament, there's a story called the Transfiguration. If you, if you forgot, this is where Jesus took Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain, and then all of a sudden Moses and Elijah appeared, and then, you know, Peter's like, oh, this is awesome, let's build a tabernacle to all three, and then all of a sudden, God the Father says, no, this is my son, and listen to him, and him I'm well pleased, and then Peter's like, oh, sorry guys, I'm a dork, you know what I'm saying? Okay, so that's, that's the Transfiguration. That was really quick, okay? (laughs) Now, so Jesus reenacted, just like Jesus reenacted the Exodus story in in the temptation that I just mentioned, the temptations of Christ, the transfiguration was a reenactment of another Old Testament story. Don't you love God's word? It is so filled with so many layers. It's like no matter how many times you and I read it, I just keep discovering new things. There's just so many layers. I just, 
ah, it's just, it's fun. I love the Bible. And okay, so, so before I land the plane, though, allow me just to recap that Old Testament story. It's, it's, it's all about, it's another journey of Moses, the attack on Sihon. Okay, so now if you go back to Deuteronomy 2 and 3, right before Joshua invaded the promised land, remember they crossed over the Jordan and, and they did, you know, public grand-scale circumcision, which we won't talk about, but we, they, they, it was right before they invaded the promised land. God, God basically, before they went in and, and took on the promised land, which was freaky to everybody, okay, because you're going to war for the first time. I don't care how much faith you have. If you're going to war for the first time, it's scary. And so, you know, they're trying to practice. Well, right before they crossed the Jordan into the promised land, God said to Moses, I want you to take my people up to the mountains of Bashan, and I want you to take on Og, the king, there. And, and you have to understand, to them, they were like, what? I thought, what about start small? What about walk before you run? Everybody was afraid of Og. Everyone was afraid of the mountains of Bashan. This would be like your, your first game of the season and you're taking on the Super Bowl champions, okay? This is like, this is the weird, why would God want them to go to, to the mountains of Bashan before they even cross into the promised land? Like, what was God doing? Really what God was doing was testing their faith to see if they actually had the ability to trust that God got their back. You know what I'm saying? Everybody believed. Now, here's what the important thing is. Everybody in those days believed that the mountains of Bashan were one of the most demonic places on earth. They actually thought that the gateway to the underworld was in the mountains. Okay, so this was, they actually felt like if you, if you literally tunneled deep enough, this is how you'd actually get into hell. And, and it was doubly significant because it, Bashan literally meant the place of the serpent. Okay, so Israelites actually believed that the devil was cast down to earth in Bashan. Okay, Israelites actually believed that that's where angels came down, mated with humans, and produced the Nephilim in Genesis 6. Okay, so this is what they believed in that time. And so, so you know, for, for Moses to take the Israelites there first, it was a scary thing that they needed to get over. And sure enough, they went there, they took care of Og, they got, every, all of a sudden they got there like, yeah, we can do this, let's cross the Jordan. And they went in and they invaded their promised land. Okay, so that was the story. So now, What's interesting about the transfiguration is that Jesus was reenacting that same Bible story with Peter, James, and John. He took them on a prayer retreat to where did he go? The mountains of Bashan. That's not a coincidence, okay? One of the most demonic places on the earth, okay? So um, really, um, what, what's interesting, and, and of course, it shouldn't shock us that, of course, guess who showed up to Jesus on the mountain, right, in, in Matthew 16? Moses. So we're, the, the story has all these little, you know, nuggets that are, are in there, little Easter eggs that are kind of hidden in there uh, for, for you and I to discover. And of course, the reason why the transfiguration was so important is because that's actually where, where a lot of theologians believe that Jesus publicly revealed himself as the Messiah. Remember when he said Jesus, or he says to Peter, who do you say that I am? And then, you know, Peter says, oh, you're the Messiah. So, so you have to understand, this is the first time where Jesus just overtly says, yep. Oh, that's right. So this was kind of Jesus coming out saying, hey, devil, I'm coming for you. I'm not just a prophet. I am the promised Messiah, and I am about to invade Jerusalem and purchase things back. And yet, you know, you know me. I'm going to do it right. 
Just like I did the, the temptations right, I survived all of it in the wilderness. So this is basically Jesus declaring war. Um, in some ways, actually, a lot of theologians say this is where Christ was tricking the devil into crucifying him. And, uh, and by the way, I did an entire message on just the attack of Sihon um, at first Wednesday in October 2019, if you're interested. It's just, it's called the Gates of Hell. The sermon is called the Gates of Hell. Um, you can go back and listen to it. I'm not going to hit any more of it. But here's the point, okay? Just like Jesus reenacted the Exodus story, he's reenacting the attack on Sihon. Jesus knew the cross is coming. He knew that he was about to make a way into the heavenly promised land. He knew that when he dies on the cross, this isn't even going to be about the earthly promised land. This is going to be about the heavenly Jerusalem, which will eventually descend uh, when Jesus returns. And so he's taking his disciples on this prayer and fasting retreat to the mountains of Bashan to do what? Pray and fast. Pray and fast. Why? To have power over the demonic. He wants to teach them power over the demonic and then take a wild guess what happens right after this, they come down from this prayer retreat and find the disciples debating with the teachers of the law about how to cast out a demon. That is not an accident. I'm pointing out, I'm, the reason why I'm pointing out all these things is because I want you to understand, Scripture has so many layers to it. And when you really read it enough, the, these things will eventually get simpler and simpler. You're going to start seeing things you never saw before and putting things together that maybe you never put together before. And I want to just kind of help you cross a few uh, uh, T's and, and dot a few I's. Right after this prayer and fasting retreat, Jesus comes down the mountain with Peter, James, and John, his inner circle. And of course, there's this boy who's demonically oppressed, Mark 9, 29. And again, if you don't remember it, disciples kept trying to cast out this demon but couldn't seem to do it. And so a fight broke out between the disciples and the teachers of the law. And, and so suddenly Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they get back from this prayer and fasting retreat. Jesus sees this fight and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, guys, time out. What the heck? What is going on here? Uh, why are you fighting? And then they explain the backstory. Well, we tried to cast out the demon. It's not working. And then Jesus was just like, boom, cast the demon out right there. Just like that. Just super fast. And of course, they're almost all stunned. Like, you made it look so easy. You know, like, what the heck? And, and the disciples later on were like hanging out with Jesus. Like, hey, Jesus, why? Why couldn't we do that? You know what I'm saying? You were just like, bam, just slam dunk. You know what I'm saying? Took care of it. And, and and Jesus explains to them, okay, check out what Jesus says to the disciples in Mark 9, 29, okay? He said, this kind of demon can come out only by prayer and fasting. So it's, it's, he's, he's saying, hey, there are some types of demonic oppression that are a little stubborn, okay, that require a little more authority, a little more spiritual power. Now, it's important to note Jesus didn't stop and pray and fast. He didn't say, okay, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to go on another prayer and fasting retreat so that we can cast this one out. He already did it. In other words, he lived a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. And so when all of a sudden, oh, there's another demon, bam, took care of it just like that. You see, I, I think it, it just... His authority over the demonic was instant. He lived a lifestyle of it. So if you're wondering why you and I want to learn how to pray and fast, because ultimately the takeaway is this. People who pray and fast have a greater power over demonic oppression. And I, I think this is something that all of us need to grow in. And, and many of you guys know that every January we like to start the year with, with 21 days of prayer and fasting. 
Um, we actually started uh, the fast this last Sunday at, at Substance, but uh, wherever you're at, if you're watching online, you can start your, your 21 days today, okay? You, you don't have to synchronize it all with, with the church, okay? The, the reason why we do it as a church is because sometimes it helps to have hundreds of other people doing it along with you, and you can kind of process it all together. There's something about doing a spiritual discipline with your friends that makes it a little bit easy. And again, if you've never fasted before, um, there's a million ways to do it. In fact, actually, I, I posted two blogs on it uh, this last week, just go to peterhaas.org or just Google Peter Haas plus fasting. Uh, there's a dozen sermons and resources there. In fact, I, I'm going to be talking about it a little bit uh, this Sunday in a way that I think will really be fun for you guys in a way that I've never talked about it before. But um, it's critical that you understand something about prayer and fasting that I want to clarify. I remember one time I, w- I, was, I was preaching that Daniel 9, um, an answer was given which I have come to tell you for you are highly esteemed, the angel said. And then, you know, this person immediately said, oh, so you can get God to love you more? Is that what Daniel did? Is he got God to love him more because he did a spiritual discipline? The answer is no. That's not, that's not actually what that passage was intended to say. Um, you cannot get God to love you more. Do you understand that? God already loves you with an everlasting love. If you're wondering if God loves that Christian more than he loves you, the answer is no. He actually loves you with an everlasting love. You cannot get God to love you more. Now, does that mean he'll trust you with the same level of authority? No. Okay, so we're talking about spiritual authority. You've got to think of it a little differently, okay? It's kind of like, it's kind of like fire, okay? If you prove responsible, you can get a fire permit and you can be trusted with fireworks, Some of you know full well you should not be trusted with fireworks. You know what I'm saying. In other words, there's a responsibility. If you're not responsible, what will happen? You'll burn yourself and burn other people like the sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19. And so when we talk about spiritual authority, earning more authority is not the same as earning more love. You're not trying to get God to love you more. God already wants to give you authority. The problem is, is that he wants to give it to you in a way that won't cause you to destroy yourself and those around you, which is unfortunately why a lot of us aren't getting answers to prayer. I think a lot of the things that we're praying for, God's up in heaven saying, ah, I love you, but your character is not ready. Like if I did that, it's just going to expose your your porn addiction, or it's going to expose your, your temper, or it's going to expose your chronic discontentment. God's up in heaven already wanting to bless you with a series of, of undeniable promotions. The question is, do you have the integrity to sustain the weight of God's dream? And the same is true with spiritual authority. There's certain areas in our lives we've got to gird up in order to safely be entrusted with fire, so to speak. I, I, and so, or in the disciples' case, Mark 9, it, it created confusion and conflict, which is unfortunately something that exists in a lot of churches. So I bring all this up because it makes me wonder how many search, uh, situations, all of these things that I'm telling you, it makes me wonder how many circumstances in my life could have been totally different if I had simply fasted more. I wonder how many times where I could have been just like Jesus, boom, taking authority over the demonic stuff, and it would have resolved everything. You know, like we say things like, oh, the devil is attacking me at work, but what if the problem was you? You know what I'm saying? You've got a big mouth, or you're selfish, or you're not listening to your coworkers. Sometimes the problem is us, right? And we can blame our physical problems on the devil uh, when, you know, hey, what if your real problem wasn't the devil? It was devil's food cake, okay? 
That's why you struggle. It's a different struggle. Now, I bring that up because, you know, many of you guys know that I really like snack cakes. I had to put it in a little, I didn't want you guys to be distracted. I have hostess zingers straight out of Manna Market. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking about this. You know, like a lot of people, they, you know, they've got this problem in their life, right? Like, let's say it's, you know, like my, you know, I've got a, I, for many years, I could say I had an addiction to snack cakes. I, I'm really not into hostess. I'm into Little Debbie, by the way. Uh, <laughs> zebra cakes particularly. But I, I just, I... Uh, it's a metaphor, right? You could say, oh, the devil's attacking me, and it's not the devil, it's you. You have a problem. Devil's up in heaven, the devil's up in the sky saying, bro, stop blaming things on me. That's on you. That has nothing to do with me, right? And I think God sometimes is like really clear, like, come on, for gosh sakes, I put devil's food on the box. <laughs> that should be an indication to you. This has nothing to do with me, right? And, and, you know, but it says that it's a good source of iron. You know what I'm saying? I, listen, God wants you to deal with your stuff. I think that in this year, if you've got stuff that God has been convicting you to do and you still haven't done it, you can't blame God for not trusting you with more. I think a lot of times... You and I are stuck in a position of arrested development, not because of God, not because of God's love or his intentions, not even the devil. It's literally, it's time to get serious. And so I, th that's just kind of a little side note that I wanted to point out uh, before we go, uh, before we land the plane here. Because, you know, the, and this leads us, the reason why I bring this up is because it's also the reason, the other reason why we fast is because you and I need to learn how to flex that self-denial muscle. You know what I'm saying? Because fasting doesn't mean merely abstaining from food. You don't, it, for me, it might be, uh, you know, fasting from snack cakes, but, but you can fast almost anything. You can fast TV, movies, social media, the news. You can fast. My wife likes to fast sweets because it's the particular thing for her. Uh, you know, other people, they do what's called a Daniel fast. It means no meats, no breads, no sweets. It's kind of almost like, a, a, it's almost like veggies. Uh, and, and a lot of people will do that for 21 days throughout our, our fast. They'll do like a 21-day Daniel fast. Or other people, they'll, there's people in our church where every year they do a water-only 21-day fast. And uh, I, I, I encourage you, wherever you're at, some people are like, is that even safe? Uh, the answer is it can be. It can be also dangerous if you, uh, if you have a medical condition or if your body fat is less than 3%, then it can be dangerous. But let's be honest. Most of all y'all don't have 3% body fat, okay? But it might be dangerous. No, you could probably go 50 days. Actually, okay, believe it or not, believe it or not, I actually did the math. I did the math. The average American can go 40 days based on typical body fat. Now, again, if you're less than 3%, it can be dangerous. It can actually hurt your heart, okay? I, and I, 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 so fasting can, in fact, be dangerous. Here's the deal. I actually wrote an entire blog on the physiological effects of, of fasting on your body, more from a science standpoint. And if you're concerned that you might be a critical person, 
Um, I, I clarify a lot of that kind of stuff. I also talk about how to deal with the negative stuff, like what about caffeine withdrawal? What about, you know, ketoacidosis? I get headaches a lot when I fast. And so there's all these little hacks that I talk about in my blog on how to avoid all that kind of stuff. Just go to peterhaas.org or just, if you're watching online, January 2023, Peter Haas fasting, okay? But here's, here's my point. Some of you, I'm just telling you, if you'd be willing to just, just test out God here, be willing to go on a journey of fasting, even if it's just like one day a week throughout the fast. Maybe it's skip lunch. Maybe it's do fruits and veggies for one day. Just start small. Uh, I, I really believe that some of you are going to have long-term problems change like this. Because again, that's what happened in Mark 9. When Jesus saw that demon-oppressed boy, and he, he, look, look what he asked the, the father of that boy in Mark 9, 21, this is the last verse. How long has the boy been like this? Jesus is kind of digging in with, with compassion. From childhood, he answered. It is often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. It's this boy who struggled his entire life. This demon of suicide, this demon of self-harm has ruled not only this young man's life, but ruled the father's life as well. He's tortured over this. He's crying out for mercy, and yet, get this, in one moment, heaven came down, changed everything. What if God wanted to do the same for you in this fast? I'm just telling you, every year, we have a crazy miracle story come out of this fast. And I don't know about you, I, part of the reason why I want to call you to fast is for selfish reasons. It's because, I, it's because I need clarity from the Lord. I need to be a better leader. I need to be a better pastor. I need to be a better dad. I, and, and I need you to pray for me. I, I also really believe that God wants to change the city. I believe that God wants revival to break out in the Twin Cities, to, for this to be known as a Jesus city. But where does it start? It just starts by, hey, two or three coming together in God's name, taking his word serious, and boom, suddenly things start to happen. What if God wanted to change your finances, your physical body, your impossible situation, your demonized boss, or your whatever, your, the thing that you never thought God could turn it around? God can turn it around, and I believe that he will turn it around. Sometimes this kind comes out through prayer and through fasting. And, and I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that fasting is easy, because it's not. And it's something that I've learned to do. Uh, in fact, I, I, I'm going to tell all of my fasting failure stories coming up at church this Sunday. And it, it's going to, you'll actually be encouraged because you'll realize, oh, you know, it, it's just like riding a bike. Yeah, riding a bike that you'll wipe out on about 30 times. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying there, there's, a, there's, a, there, there's a way to do it, though, too, that I, I believe is going to be less traumatic for you. And that's what I'm going to be unpacking in the coming weeks. But right now, here's what I want to do is I, I just... I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit, and I want you to dedicate this year to him uh, in, in a new way. Because I really believe that if you would just take his word serious, there's going to be a coming day where we're all going to enter into heaven. And there will, we're going to enter into heaven with a finite number of prayers prayed. You know, it's kind of like NFL stats. You, once you resign from the NFL, there's so many yards, so many touchdowns. You and I are going to stand before God in heaven with a finite number of prayers prayed. Oh, Peter, you prayed. 
3,585,288,502 prayers. All right, okay, it was kind of like, I don't know if that's the number, but I, I just, I don't, I don't know. But I, I just, you get the idea. You're going to get to heaven and God's going to be, there's also going to be other stats like, oh, you, you engaged in fasting this many times. In, not, in a, not in a legalistic, like, weird way, but in a reward way. Is the Bible says that God is going to reward every single good deed, that you can't even offer someone a cup of water in Christ's name without getting a reward, okay? So mark my words, every dollar you give, there's going to be a stat for it. Every time you forgive someone for being a jerk, right? Now, will God, you know, hold it again? Will there be a stat of how many times you cussed at somebody who cut you off in the car? If you're a Christian, it's under the blood. Yeah! So no, it's awesome! But for good things, the stats are only going to be there for, for you and I under the blood as Christians. It's going to be good things and there's going to be rewards for those things. I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to miss out on the power over demonic oppression. I don't want you to miss out on the good things that God wants to give you. And trust me, he loves you so much and he has so much that he has longing to pour out on your life. But here's the question. Are you ready to receive it? Let's be ready. Let's be ready. Let's flex that self-denial muscle. Let's get so close to heaven that those muscles are capable of handling the authority that he wants to give you and that he wants to give me. And so right now, wherever you're at, just bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, speak to us about how we're supposed to get involved in your kingdom through prayer and fast, fasting. You said, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for they would be filled. God, let that be said about all the people watching this message, starting right here, starting right now as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray.